when you can kind of understand what the fear is telling you and you can bring it to a level of mapping it in your mind of like how to execute it, you pretty much can do it flawless. So once you control the fear and channel it, it almost becomes a weapon. JB here, the wolf is in the house, in the wolf's den for another awesome podcast. And today's guest, I'm lucky, guys. I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little spoiled because when I first started this, I was like, well, I hope I get some really great people. I was hoping that the movie would, you know, really help me attract some great people. And I didn't suspect I'd get like the coolest people ever because the guy sitting across from me is one of the, I'm serious, one of the coolest people I've ever met. And by the way, you must have heard someone called you Spicoli before. I get uh, Spicoli a lot. I right. can, uh, like I told the guy on ABC, <laughs> danger is my business. <laughs> Aloha, Mr. Hyde. <laughs> Mr. Hyde. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Spicoli is from the awesome classic movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And his best move, this guy did a lot of shit, Spicoli, but he ordered a pizza yeah. The class. And I, th I that was something I always, I never did it, but it was something I always wished I had done, you know? Yeah, Spicoli, it's like, I get that, that and Owen Wilson, I get a lot. Right, and, I see that too. But I mean, like getting Spicoli, to me, it's like an ultimate compliment. Like Sean Penn's Dude. like an amazing actor. It's a, you know, Oscar winning. It is a compliment and a half. Because yeah. when you, see, when your hair was longer, you were full Spicoli. Oh, full Spicoli. Now you're more, you're Owen Wilson, Mick, you know, Gene's wow. nice in it too. Like if those two had somehow could have sex and come to the baby <laughs> and like I'm that, some weird I'm shit him. going on, you would be the baby, <laughs> by the way. You know, it would be a great thing too. Yeah, it would. So, listen, I, I before you came here, I have to admit, I, you know, I heard of you, but I, I didn't like, you know, I'm, I'm old, <laughs> but I'm keeping myself young by talking to people like you. And okay. I, as you know, lived an insane life, right? Yeah. And when I see a fellow insaner, yep. it, it makes me say, well, I wish I was young again. I, I want to jump off some building. What, what is it? So first of all, you jump off of, you, know, you don't, first of all, you're a filmmaker. Yeah. First and foremost, right? Yes. But you have this amazing talent, right? That you have the ability to just jump off of crazy high places where we know people would be shitting in their pants, right? Yeah. I'd be like, fuck this and running for you. Just like, you just tell me what, what is it that you, tell us what it is that you do. Um, Austin Powers you know, reference, right? Yeah. Um, I like cliff jumping is like a huge passion hobby of mine. I got into it when I was a kid. My brother had to babysit me. And instead of staying at home, he took me with all his friends to these quarries in Indiana and they would jump off these cliffs and I'd watch them. But I was so young that like the size of the cliffs just paralyzed me with fear. How high were they? <sighs> they, those cliffs must've been like at least 50, 60 feet. But at that quarry was a, a cliff that they nicknamed Cape Fear, which was 100 feet. You had to run, jump out over trees, and like that, that's just mind blowing to me. My highest jump, 70 feet. I've, I don't think I'm capable the of. The highest you ever jumped is 70 feet. Yeah. And I, I, I couldn't imagine what that looks like. Cause I, you know, I think I, when you're on, it's weird diving when you're on like, you're just like a three meter board. It's high because you you stand up, you're five feet or six feet yeah. higher, right? It's pretty freaking high, you know. Yeah, and what I what I what I like about is not just the rush of the cliff jump, but it's the uh, it's like one of the only things that I've found in life that has it's all you, it's all your decision. There's no like external pressure, 
which I've, I've felt a lot in my like filmmaking career with like, whether it's brands or musicians or different people, like we need this or that. I totally understand what you're saying. It's all internal pressure. And when you can kind of understand what the fear is telling you and you can bring it to a level of mapping it in your mind of like how to execute it, you pretty much can do it flawless. So once you control the fear and channel it, it almost becomes a weapon. And once you hit that flow state and you leave the cliff, that's the only time I've found in my life that like I'm fully present and like almost like, uh, yeah, you're just immersed in the activity and it's, it brings this like moment I, of happiness. I totally get it. And I, I feel the same thing like when I'm on stage, see two times in my life I'm present. All right. Yeah. When I'm on stage speaking in front of a crowd and I'm channeling and I'm not thinking about what I'm saying, which is pretty much always when I'm on stage, when I speak, it's very easy. It's always been easy for me to do. So that's certainly, I know exactly that feeling of being in flow and just feeling like you're just, I'm right where I should be right now doing exactly what I should be doing. And the second time I'm in bed with my wife having sex. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she knows this, but she won't even know. It's just like, that. and I always say to her, if it wasn't for you, I would, I'd be almost insane because I'm not, I'm, I have problems. Like I'm, I'm almost insane most of my life. It probably doesn't surprise you. I've, I struggle with I've my, seen the movie. you know, I struggle with my own sanity here, but like the only times I really feel happy and present fully. Like, you know, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm happy a lot, but really in it is then that or when I'm on stage, right? That's, that's a good thing to be able to say, like to be able to have that connection with your wife. Like that's, you know. And that's after a few wives. So I've had to get it right. It took a little time, <laughs> buddy, you know? And I hope you do better than me this expensive too. But, but um, no, I, I am lucky. I have an amazing wife. I'm trying to get on this podcast, but she's, and she's this beautiful, brilliant woman. But the problem is, is she's like a behind the scenes power. Okay. You get it? So she's my partner in business and she does Give a lot it of time. stuff. Yeah. yeah, she's, yeah. She's, I think she's going to go on someone else's podcast, maybe like next week. She probably wants you to dial your skills in first. <laughs> exactly. you know? she's, probably, she's probably, oh no, trust me. I hear about that all the time. She looked at my stuff. She's, a, she's what you call a mismatcher. So she has this ability to like, she can find out what's wrong with anything. That's her skill, right? She's a, yep. there's a term. She's like, you, you, you stutter that word or look at the way your, your, your chin is, in the, you got to lose three. I'm, I'm like, yeah, but she's usually right, which sucks. All right, guys, here's the deal. I am here to talk to you about a very important subject, your erections. This is very important to me, at least, right? If you like sex, like I do, and like I'm sure all of you do, right? Then you probably heard of Blue Chew, right? It's chewable, right? The same active ingredient is the old stuff, the old outdated Viagra and all that old stuff, right? Well, this is the new evolution that you can actually chew. Hits you in half the time. Powerful stuff. How powerful? Let me just tell you, ready? I'm going to give you my wolf analogies here, right? You could like take Blue Chew and your erection, you could hit a home run in the World Series with this thing. That's how hard it is, okay? A bottom line. You could hurt someone with Blue Chew. Blue Chew is the things that you use to teach someone a lesson. You show them who's boss with Blue Chew, right? That's why I like it. Seriously, no. Blue Chew works. It gives you that ability to go once, two, three rounds. Right? You're a superstar with Blue Chew. Seriously. And, you know, they, they, they originally invented this stuff. It's like a blood pressure. Many years, they thought it was for blood pressure. But this is back in the day. Like, they first invented this, this, this ingredient, right? This, the, the, the level of erection you get from this. I'm, I'm dead serious. It is like nothing you've ever seen before. This is not normal stuff. This is like studly, studly stuff, and you gotta try it. I promise you. And here's the ready Blue Chew is gonna let you try it for free because you're on my podcast. All right. So here's what you do 
Blue Chew, B-L-U-E, BlueChewCHEW.com. Enter the promo code WOLF. You get it for free. How about that? Just pay $5 shipping and handling. You have to check it out. I, I, I'm telling you, I think last time I said you could um, you could use this, the DEA could use your erection to knock down a crack house store. It's even bigger than that. I, I'm seriously. I, I, let's use the, a home run in the World Series bases loaded. Blue Chew comes to the rescue. Seriously, if you love sex, you got to check this stuff out. Give it a shot. Believe me, you won't be sorry. All right, ready for this? I got a great one. I know you don't want to think of it as you're probably a young guy, a young girl, right? You don't really think much about life insurance, but you know what? Now is the time. My opinion, listen, I'm not a licensed insurance agent or anything. I just speak from experience here. Life insurance is something that you don't really realize is missing until something bad happens. Don't be in that situation. But here's the problem. When you buy life insurance, all right, it's a disaster because you're getting a hard soul. They probably learned a straight line. They're probably uh, torturing you and looping you and doing everything to sell you life insurance. How do you know which one's the best? How do you know you're not getting taken to the cleaners for life insurance? Here's the deal. This company, PolicyGenius.com, they take out all the guesswork for you. You get it? They actually do the research. They find the best fit. There's no pressure, no sales side to it. They'll just go out and scour the market, find one that suits directly your needs, do all the paperwork for you. Boom. What could be better than that? Just imagine yourself down the road. You've got this company in your pocket, policygenius.com. You're hooked up with your life insurance. It was easy. It was fun. Your family's protected. You're protected. That's a great position to be in versus your worst nightmare coming true. The people that you love are not taken care of after you're gone. That would be more pain than I personally could bear. I'd hate to see you in that situation as well, all right? Just check this out. This is the company that actually takes out the guesswork for life insurance. And it's something you want to have. Take it from me. All right. So again, it's policygenius.com. You get to compare all the top insurers to take out the guesswork for you. You never get sold to. It's elegant. It's ethical. It's simple. And it makes your life more, let's just say, if you walk through life with a confident, a quiet confidence, knowing the people that you love will be taken care of. God forbid something terrible happens. You need to check this out. Where, uh, where do you get, like, speaking of public speaking, like, where do you get, where'd you find your confidence or how'd you tap into that? So for me, it's a great question, right? So that was one of the things that just came totally natural to me. Wow. It required no conscious effort from the first time I tried it for as far back as I can remember, even as a, a kid mm -hmm. speaking in front of the class, it, the words just seemed to flow. Uh, when I went out and into the field to become a salesperson. The first time I pitched a sale, it just flowed. And when I really started training salespeople, first even before the brokerage business, that I was like, oh my God. When I started training salespeople, I like, this is what I was born to do. I just felt like I was born to do that. And it grew from there. So I think like, for instance, we all have certain talents. Yeah. You obviously have a talent, the natural talent. Like Roger Federer has got a natural talent, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and, and so many people that are just extremely talented, but you then train yourself and you make the most of that talent. So I think over the years, obviously I've honed a God-given gift that I, that I was blessed with. And through hard work and perseverance, you get better and better at it. But I, I think that anybody can become a competent, a really good speaker with work and strategy. Yeah. But it was pretty, e I won't lie. It was, it was a very easy thing for me. Do you have, what do you feel about speaking? Do you like it or do you hate it? 
I mean, I love it, but it's it's one of those things like right now I feel natural in doing it, but I've given a, a TEDx talk and I- l- 17 minutes, right? Like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would I, literally I, yeah. like, I, 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 not freeze, but you forget so much and it's like, you've lived all that. It's all experience. Yeah. So like, how can you not retain it so quickly? You know, you know, it's funny. So I used to have this, this dichotomy where it put me in front of a live crowd Mm-hmm. I'll just mail every word perfect. It's just so easy. Put me in front of a camera like, hey, Jordan Belvedere, different guy. I'd be like, hi, I'm Jordan. It's like I couldn't channel the same natural energy. Yeah. And then what happened was about a year ago, I started this new program, like a subscription model. Every day I would do like a seven-minute daily motivation and I would do a one-hour intensive all into the camera. And over time, it just I, I was, wow. I can do this now. Yeah. So like, so, you know, over time, I think, you know, like, here's what I noticed about you. You have an interesting um, thing you're doing. You are calling something that is a very organized body of science and psychology. You've cracked the code on your own, your own way. You're running a very powerful state management strategy. So okay. in, in the world of self-development, we call what you do state management. And that is you, you take, fear like would be a disempowering state of fear and you've reframed it you actually have you even have like a little saying that you do right well what do you say before you jump off a cliff run it run it right that's called an anchor yep. like that's your anchor phrase and i'm sure you probably run a, a movie through your mind as well i'm willing to bet on it right 100 and then all of a sudden bam you're in flow and you say words like i'm in flow mm-hmm. these are all the words have you ever studied self-development at all uh, I'm getting into it at bits and pieces here, but because you you could you should be on stage teaching self development because what you're doing is is actually you're a legitimate real world example of someone that was had the ability to figure it out without being schooled on it. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. try to fake their way to managing their state, and they go to seminars and they jump up and down. Yes, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm in, <laughs> but right, but dude, what you've done is like Matthew McConaughey. Give me an example. So in the movie, you know. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you this. That, I never, I, I wish I did that. I fucking didn't do that. I fucking so pissed I didn't think of that, right? Because I would be proud of myself. I, did, right? I didn't. We didn't do that, right? But what we did do is like, I knew if the brokers weren't standing up and moving around, like I had them yell, yes, and, right? That's what we did. But Matthew McConaughey has this thing he does before he acts. And he goes, uh-huh. and he pounds his chest. And it's called, it's firing off his anchor to get him into a proper emotional state for acting. Thing. You get it? So he's channeling. Yeah. Like that's his ability to get in flow is that. So that's so what happened was when he was filming the first scene from The Wolf of Wall Street, no one really knows. It's a very non-known story, right? So he's about to film in the scene up with Leo, yep. right? Which is a really accurate portrayal by First Day of Wall Street. You know, cocaine hookers. I'm like, fuck. I'm like, no, come on. I, I couldn't believe it, right? So he's about to film this and the lights are up. The camera's about to roll. He goes, one second. He turns around. He goes, mm-hmm. And Scorsese's like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And Leo's, oh, it's just, just what he does. It's like, he's, Maya's like, I love it. We have to make this part. And they made it Dude. part of the movie. What was it like being in, uh, like, just in that realm of energy of, like, not only having, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, like, one of the greatest actors of our time, or just in general, portray you, yeah. but to be around, like, somebody like Scorsese, mm-hmm. McConaughey. So I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't spend much time with Scorsese. Okay. And I'll tell you why. It's very interesting. And I, I really respected him for this. He said, and of course we spoke and I, and I, I did meet him right now. I was on set. But um, his thing was, listen, I have watched every one of your videos. I've read your books. I've analyzed your every map. I have a vision of you that I am bringing to this movie. And it, all you could do is compete 
with the vision of who you are. He had an, hit some ver- whatever version he had that he brought to screen, which I thought was a pretty cool one, right? But that yeah. was what he had. And, I, and that was probably one side of it. And the other side of it is I don't really, if I were him, I wouldn't want the guy who I'm trying to bring to life there all day long, analyzing my every move, right? Is that he, he doesn't give a fuck what I think. He's Marty fucking Scorsese. Exactly, man. And he has every right to be Marty He'll fucking. have you whacked. You got it. Or, yeah, or just fucking like, you know, who, just like he's Marty fucking Scorsese, right? Yep. I mean, my dad is pretty old now. He's, and he's, you know, thankfully, he, had, took, he was very sick this week, took a turn for the better. But I said to my dad, I said, you know what? You were fucking played in a Marty Scorsese movie. How many people can say that, right? And I'm more happy for my dad than for me. But so I did more. I met Marty for sure, right? I had a cameo in the movie, which was really hysterical, right? But when I I really spent, I met Matthew as well, but I really spent massive time with Leo. Yeah. And Leo and I spent, I mean, a a full year off and on together, a lot of time together. And I got to tell you, it's not an accident, that he is who he is. This guy works fucking hard. He studies. It's not like, oh, I'm just so talented. It's, he is talented, but the guy is applied at a very high level, takes things very seriously. And he also has a great family. You know, some Leo never blew up, never went crazy. Yeah. Like he's got a, he's got a phenomenal mom. Great. You know, so he's, he's a together guy. You know, he's, you know, it's respect for him. He did, he did a yeah. great, obviously did a great job in the movie, you know? Phenomenal job. And um, so tell me about your family. Let's hear it. Come on, let's hear this. Uh, I got my mom and dad. They are 68 right now. Dad turned 69 on Wednesday. Got two older brothers. and How old older, are your brothers? Uh, 44 and 43. Like you or different? Um, I'm probably a split of both of them. Okay. So my brother Ryan, the oldest, he is the adrenaline junkie, like probably crazier than I was. Um, in the sense of like, really? yeah, he, like he would jump off these hundred foot cliffs and not really know what he's doing. <laughs> well, not, <laughs> not, not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like me, like I, I get in there and I check the depth if I've never been there or, or I go to a place I've never, or somebody else is not jumping. Like you got to check cause it, it could be deadly. Yeah. He was like, dude, we were just hucking ourselves off those cliffs, you know, cool. not even thinking about it. He also ramped his bike in our front yard, 69 feet when he was a teenager broke the forks when he landed and like the guy was just he was missing screws and um, i love him already yeah and uh phenomenal wakeboarder but just like he's one of those guys now he's like kind of like not in retirement but like he's uh it's no his 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 adrenaline is like dormant and then all of a sudden it takes like we'll always like pick on my brother we'll be like We'll just try to like see if he's like paying attention. We're like, oh, he, he couldn't do that, and he'll be like, oh, let me out here. And so, <laughs> well, how about does he have a lot of injuries and stuff? I mean, does he have like you know state growing here, up, he, here and shit, right? Uh, he concussions, knocked himself unconscious, wakeboarding. He did a flip and knee hit him right in the head, knocked him out, and uh, yeah, he bunch of stitches, broken bones. Then, uh, can I ask you one question though? But, yeah. Uh, you, your whole family, you have this, you know what it's called? A kinesthetic sense. You have a, a, an awareness of your body and how it moves. And I can see it like when you jump or when you dive, like I can't do that. In other words, I'm not, I'm not uncoordinated, but I don't have, you have this like ability and some people just have this a, a natural talent. 
It's like a, a friend of mine named John, wasn't it John something? Well, many years, it doesn't matter. But the point is, he, it's like he could just wait for it. He could do this. His body was, is, you know, you get it? There's a mm-hmm. kinesthetic sense that you have. And it actually looks, it's graceful to when, when I watch you jump and dive. It's not like you're like, ah, you know, you're like, it's actually beautiful to watch. Thanks. There's, a, there's, a, there's been a lot of smacks like to get to that point. And I was talking to the same brother, Ryan, the other day about cliff jumping. And he was like, yeah, people would always be like, you're crazy doing those flips like off the cliffs. And he and I like had the same consensus that you want to flip off those higher cliffs because you have the ability to control your body. Slow any emotion. Yeah, of course. Like a, yep. a ball that's, that's spinning is easier to control the direction of a ball than a ball that's stationary, right? It's like a knuckleball stationary. Yeah. And a lot of people can't understand that because it looks yeah. crazy. It's no, but it makes perfect physics. Physics, it makes sense. Like even a bicycle, the faster you go, the more faster it spins, the easier it's to stay up, right? So you mm-hmm. can almost control where you, your trajectory if you're moving and you're tumbling versus you're still, you're like a fucking ball that's not spinning, right? Yep. Yeah, it's classic physics. Makes total sense to me. Yeah, then uh, my other brother, Terry, he's a people person. He could come in here and just light up a room. Yeah, just chat with you for like hours. And uh, he, people person, he's, Funny, he knows like every film reference, jokes. Um, oh, we'd have good, good, yeah. Time, yeah. <laughs> and he's man of fashion, works in the fashion industry. He's a family man, West Coast, East Coast, or he is Charlotte right now. Okay, and so, um, but he does a lot of traveling with work, and he is also not good at like any craftsman stuff. He and I are always just like, yo, did dad and Ryan like sneak off at night and like learn how to like build stuff and like right. wh- like where were we but he's also a great athlete played uh college football at iu and then uh my sister she is a teacher she's spent the better part of her life like working with like kids with disabilities and deaf children and she just has like the biggest heart and she's awesome. the one that helped like me to realize like i was an artist um even though i was like already doing making videos, right. like creating stuff. I'd never really accepted it until she gave me this book called The Artist's Way. And it was uh, it was a book, um, basically you'd read like a chapter a week and it would have, uh, it would make you go on like artist dates with yourself. Like, so let's say you loved playing uh, basketball and you hadn't played in a long time. And it would make you get out there and just like go do it regardless of whether you're going to be in the NBA or not, or whether you're going to be good. Right. It was just getting out there and like doing it because you loved it. I get it. That's yeah. what tennis is to me. Yeah. Well, I, I played tons of tennis and, I, and the thing is I try so hard to be perfect knowing I never will be, but I, I get to watch, put all my effort in this fucking little ball, you know what I'm saying? And then, and I've gotten myself to be pretty good, but it's like there's, the stakes are zero, but I put so much, I put so much effort in this thing that has absolutely no payoff, but it makes you feel great inside. Yeah, that I play I, I play tennis like a couple times a year with my parents. My mom is like, let's go play tennis. I'm like, all right, let's go. Like, you know, like make you happy. And <laughs> she like can easily just mop, mop the floor. The, yeah, exactly. And every now and then I, I'll get on a roll and like it's fun and like I'll be bringing it to her. But like it's, I, I stand no chance. <laughs> it's fun though. So let me, let me, what's interesting about you, if I just looked at you, Mm-hmm. All right. Probably let's go, even go back five or 10 years from now. You would probably from the outside appear to be the happiest, most well-adjusted guy with not a care in the fucking world. You you always probably gave off that vibe, but mm-hmm. the truth was very different, right? hundred percent. 
And I think the best part of your story, I don't gonna figure it, the jumping is the fact of how you were able to manage your emotions and go from a place where you really were living a life that was like burning like a 10 watt light bulb, yeah. barely trudging through each day to living life at the highest fucking level. Yeah. And that's what to me is the best part of the story. So that's what I really want to spend most of the time because I think people have a lot to learn from that because a lot of people get caught up in that 10 watt light bulb lifestyle where there's no real pain. They're just moving through life, yep. almost half asleep, almost anesthetized, right? 100%. And so tell me the story. So if you just tell, you know, start wherever you want about that. Man. Um, just ever since I was a kid, I was always wanting to, I grew up in a real small town, like 9,000 people. And just real quick, like I was always just, I was in the NBA, I was in the NFL and always just, Wanted to get out of that town. I knew that I was capable of something more, nothing against that town, but mm -hmm. I just wanted to mm -hmm. just see more. I get it. And um, got into music and basically was just like, I got to get out of here and didn't care what that entailed. And it took, I graduated college, moved to Orlando, Florida. And like, you go to school? IU, Indiana okay. University. Mm -hmm. And... When I moved to Orlando, my dream was to like be a pro wake skater, which is like wakeboarding and, um, or make videos in that industry. Moved to Florida within a week. I started filming for this guy, Scott Byerly, who's like the godfather of wakeboarding mm. and started working, making videos for his company. And after a year, like there was no money in it. And so I was working another side job and after about, you know, 10 free wake skates and all the free gear you could want, I'm out. just like, <laughs> yo, like I got to, I got to figure out what's next. Right. Um, luckily I dislocated my shoulder at that time, which forced me to kind of move home and have surgery and worked, uh, I went back to my summer job that I had like at this Marina on the lake that we lived on in Indiana. So I was doing that and just trying to figure out what, what could I do with filming? Like what I do now didn't exist back then. Like right. you couldn't really. What year was this? 10 years ago. So that's like 2009. Okay. So 25 living in my parents' basement. And. So you were, you were like the classic in your parent, the full thing. Literally. Right? Yeah. But how, but I have to ask, how'd you, how'd you, how'd you uh, dislocate your shoulder? What happened? Uh, so my side job, I worked in basically a fish tank. It's uh, have you seen those artificial waves you can surf on? Of course. Flow rider. Uh -huh. So there's this one department store in the mall called Adrenalina, and it had one of those in there. And it was impossible to get a job there. I went in one day, all my friends were like, You're, dude, like the line to get a job there is insane. So I go in there one day, and they're just like, oh no. And I was like, well, like, do you have anything on the floor? And they're like, no. And I'm leaving. The, the manager comes back and he's like, how old are you? And I was like, 25. He's like, are you like in school? I was like, no. He's like, can you start tomorrow? It was because like, all these other kids were in school and they had nobody to work the day shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was working five days a week, like nine to five, just getting paid to teach people how to ride this flow rider and then ride it when no one was in there. Right. And I got pretty good and you start doing like shove it's kick flips. And I wiped out and just smacked, yeah, yeah, yeah. dislocated it and tore my labrum, had to have surgery. And yeah, that done a couple yeah. times. <laughs> so, 
And so he had the appearance basement, right? Yep. Had surgery, spent a, a winter in Indiana. It was like the most depressing, like, it was just long winter because a lot of people in the summer like come to the lake, but then like maybe 10% live there in the winter. So there's nobody there. And it's just, it's, you, you get a lot of cabin. Girlfriend at the time? I did. And uh, then she broke up with me because I was like all like mopey, like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, my life sucks. That's fucking Spagoli, by the yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> you're, so, you're channeling that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she broke up with me because she was just like, yo, like, all you do is complain to me about what was the name? Uh, Carrie. And ah, 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 look what happened. Anyway, well, <laughs> we still talk. We still. I'm she's sure she's a sweetheart. She is. All right, all right. Um, but like, I remember I moved to LA, and like about a month after moving, I called her, and I was just like, "Yo, you did me the biggest favor in my life." Right. And she's like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "I was like, not." putting myself Almost out there. Through her life. Basically. Yeah, I was like, I kind of like settled. There was like. She was awesome, but it was just like, I got to find what makes me tick yeah. in order to like make a relationship work. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just going to continue being draining for her. Mm-hmm. So moved out here, wanted to get into acting, did a little bit of stuff. Not like anything more than just like people's little short films. Okay. And- um, Do you take classes and stuff? Did you I did. And that was just like- I always found like classes and like auditions to be, that's like another, like kind of like public speaking. You have to learn and master it if you're not like talented at it. Like I was always gifted at just like being in front of the camera and just like playing a part. Yep. But to get to the part was always the part I struggled with. And um, ended up just getting this side job working for this company. And it turned from like a three week job to a four and a half year job. And what? Um, I did quality control for, uh, a company called premier digital services and the owner of that company helped. He was one of two guys that started the iTunes video store and he started getting crazy job offers and his name was Eric Anderson. And he was just like, I should start my own company. And he just saw the future for what it was. It's probably because he worked at a company where Steve jobs is just, and rubs off. Yeah. And I remember I was watching all these films so like let's say we'd get uh like uh wolf of wall street in i'd watch the movie in its entirety make sure that there was no audio drops nothing wrong with the pictures so when you download it from like netflix hulu it plays perfect and i was just like what are you talking about net like he's like dude you're gonna be able to stream everything on your phone like he saw the future like way ahead of its time what year is this this was like 2010 you want to know that I remember, this is a true story, in 1993, this, they were talking about it back then. It was a company called, the symbol was Clix, C-L-I-X, Compression Labs, and they had this technology, they get a compressed video and deliver it, back then there was no internet, right? So yeah. the, the idea was they would deliver it over your cable, like everyone home cable, right? Yep. And we were like, no fucking way. I mean, like, because back when I grew up, I'm older than you, right? You would wait years if something was in the theater you didn't see it it'd be like two years and it'll be on abc and everyone would be watching it in one night and you'd be like the greatest thing ever right yeah sometimes i miss that but still it's obviously better to have 500 channels whatever the fuck you want whatever the fuck you want it right yeah but i they were talking about that it seemed like science fiction it's just crazy right yeah because i was like what's i was like dude i get dvds from netflix in the mail i was like that's the ultimate setup right 
and lo and behold, here we are in this world living. Everybody wants content. Every it's unreal. Everybody has a hub for it too. You know, when I, I remember when Netflix first started transitioning, it would be like they had some the shitty shows you could download and you could stream, and the other ones they had to ship you a DVD. Mm-hmm. But he's a brilliant guy, and he just slowly whoever was running it, it was like slowly they just kept getting really aggressive. And they, I mean, I love Netflix. I think it's an amazing service. Yeah. That, that's like that's back when I whenever I did get a little bit into the stock market, a little, ah, little day trading. Did you? And did you lose any money? <laughs> um, it's hard to make it, money like that. You know? Yeah, you can, you can, but if you there's a lot of capital gains tax because right. it's such a short trading term. it now exactly. Yep, yeah. but uh, it was fun. It was cool to like learn teach yourself and learn just like the trends and like just information how to keep right. up on stuff. So I guess the real question is: So you're working, not terrible watching video movies all day long, right? You're probably pretty good at movie trivia, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so somehow you are on end up very quickly on stage with Justin Bieber and, and this one, like what, what happened? How did, it, how did it roll? So I was about to turn 30 and I was still just like in my spare time, just making like travel videos or just videos with my friends or just anything just because I enjoyed it as a hobby. And... A DJ's manager by the name of Blau, like uh, his manager, Ross Fessenstein at the time, found my YouTube videos and was just like, hey, we could pay you to go on tour with this artist and make these same videos that you're making for yourself, but we could pay you. So they gave me like a day rate to go out for a week. And I was just like, yo, I've never seen this kind of money. And like, actually, I'd do it for free. I never had somebody pay me to do something that I enjoyed. And I was hooked. Like, you're gonna travel like the whole thing. You're like, what? You're gonna pay me? Yeah. yeah. And so, like, the first first night, like, he and I were stage diving it, like, together. I'm filming it, like, getting passed around the crowd. And, like, he brings me back on stage. He's like, yo, I'm gonna take you everywhere. And I'm just like, I'm quitting my job. And so, you found your, your niche in life. Yeah. Right? So, I quit my job and started touring with him, started touring with Martin Garrix. And, Avicii, he had found my YouTube videos and um, ended up making a music video for his song, The Nights. And that like really just blew me up, not only as a filmmaker, but as a personality, as someone, because it was made up of all my home videos. Right. And it was like a, a story about advice a father gave. And I'd used real storyline of my dad and I had a mm-hmm. ton of clips of my dad and yeah. I video crushed and then i started uh i met bieber's team and his team was just like yo we like you now you just got to meet justin and like that was like trying to catch the white rabbit like getting a meeting with him it would just be like hey can you meet wednesday actually can you meet friday and then, then it was just like i don't think it's ever gonna happen and then i ended up being at miami for this uh festival called ultra and he came out to sing uh premiere like live premiere of this song where yeah. are you now with skrillex and he comes out and i was on stage and i get this angle and that nobody else had and i like go home cut this video together and i send it to his team and they're just like holy shit can we right. post this yeah they post it and then he's like yo i want this guy to do my videos who is this and they're like that's the guy we've been trying to have you meet so they bring me to this uh show down here in uh la called Wango Tango. He hasn't performed like his own set in like three years or something. And I'm asking his team like, yo, what, uh, what's the 
what are your restrictions? And this woman named Allison, who's like Scooter Braun's like number one, right. is like, oh, like just do your thing. We love your work. Just like do your thing. And I'm like, I'm not even going to clarify what that means because in my head, do your thing is probably different from what you're right. going to say. And at the time, like I was doing fine. Like I, I was financially stable. I was right. saving some money. I enjoyed the people I was working with. So I was like, if I get this beaver job or I don't, it didn't really, wasn't going to make or break my spirit or whatnot. And right. so I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I think I right. should do. So I find myself on the, I was just like, I'm just going to go on stage the first two songs and I'm weaving in out of his dancers. And then there's this part where the dancers just separate and you can see me like hesitate for like half second before I just commit to they part the dancers and he starts going out on the catwalk. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. And I'm just like, Oh fuck, you're going out on the catwalk with Justin Bieber. Like this is you got obviously everybody's going to see. We got to put a video up of this. We're gonna, yeah. It's, yeah. it's somewhere out there. I know it was on TMZ and so I shoot this and I'm like, blood's just everything. Adrenaline's going. And then like, I come back to side stage to like recollect myself and his security's like, yo, like you're not supposed to be out there like that. Like, they don't want you filming like that. And I'm like, oh God, did I just blow this? Like now I'm like in the crowd shooting and like kind of like feeding it fucking that. Well, now I'm like all like self-conscious, like, did I screw this up? So his uh set ends and I'm like picking up my gear and I'm walking back. I'm like, I'm like, how do I like I'm about to walk into like, you know, the lion's den? Like, what do I like, what do I say? I get in there and I'm kind of just chilling and uh, his hair guy, Florido, Flo, uh, somebody said something and Flo goes, I'm sure Rory got it on video, meaning like he was right there. on. And I'm like, sorry about that. <laughs> and Allison, she jumped in and was like, that's my fault. Like I told him to do his thing. And I was like, sorry. And they're like, no, it's, it's cool. And uh, Justin was like, no, man, it's all right. Is he, and is he a good guy? Awesome guy. Yeah. Really awesome guy. And so I make this video, send it to his team. And then Scooter's like, maybe we have him go on stage at all the shows, like for one song or something. Cause they had never seen that perspective. Right. And so it was one of those things where I just trusted my gut and I was just like, screw it. And it ended up being one of the deciding factors. And like Bieber later told me, he was like, he's like, yeah, I remember when we got that video, I was like, he's our guy. He's like, nobody else would have did that. Right. And I was like, respect. You know, it's it's honest. It's so much of it's just like this this philosophy of just being authentic, just going for it, not living in fear. It's kind of like what it's the same thing when you do when you like whether it's jumping off a cliff or going out. Most people would just say, not physically dangerous, but dangerous for my career or what people might think of me. Or you're just like fuck it. You yeah. Know? And it's not by the way that you don't feel the fear. See, this is what this is what courage is about. People mm-hmm. won't get it. Like in other words, like yeah. That's courage. See, courage is that you felt the fear. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you feel the fear when you're about to jump off every single thing that you jump off of. Mm-hmm. You just don't let it stop you from taking action. That's the difference. You get it? Yep. There's been a lot of times, like, because a lot of people hire me for my style on stage and they want me to be there. Then there's always this, hey, they're shooting a live stream. They don't want you to be seen. And then, like, the people I'm shooting are like, Dude, you're like part of the band. You need to be out there. And it's like, it's, then it, yeah, it's not only do you have the, that's what I was talking about earlier about the external mm-hmm. pressure. Mm-hmm. So before it was just kind of like, you just have to make it up in your mind to be like, you're doing this. Yep. Now you have all these other yeah, people like, sure. 
well, this is kind of it's like Game what of Thrones shit going on. Yeah, <laughs> I love fucking so. jockeying for position, backstabbing. Who's like the favorite person at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, but dude, you're, the thing with you is you you have a, a certain factor. It's called a fucking cool factor, and everybody wants a cool factor around them. And you've mastered the art of being cool. I'm not even. I'm, not, I'm oh, it's the truth. You're cool, and, you. and when you're cool like you are, it's true. When you're cool, you're fucking Spagoli. No one's cool in Spagoli, right? Come on. Right, nobody. <laughs> no one is cool in fucking Spagoli, all right? And the, the point is, you could get away with that if someone else who wasn't you, okay, see, one of the things also is knowing your own boundaries in life. So yep. it's not like anyone could run on stage with Justin Bieber, but the point is, everything in your life up to that point had given you the fucking cred to go do that because it was authentic to who you are. You weren't an asshole. You weren't trying to steal his thunder. You would yeah. do your job at a really high level. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that was, uh, and I get that a lot, the misconception of a lot of people were like, oh, dude, I want to go, I want to film with chain smokers like you or like, I want to be up on stage. I'm like, it's not about being up on stage. It's not about like, yeah, people see me up there and like now like I'm known by that, but it's because I'm, I'm creating something for that artist. Yeah, like, I, I just happen to, you know, be in the spotlight, kind of. It's the same story again and again. People say, you know, how do I be the next Rory? No, you can't be. You have to be the next best amazing you, right? Yeah. And you hear it all, I get it. I'm sure you get it all the time as well. And there, you can't duplicate. Listen, you could use someone as a model. 100%. But at the end of the day, you have to be authentic to yourself. It's got to be some version of yourself and yeah. be the most of version of yourself, you know? That's, it's funny you say that. Cause I like, that's like the advice I try to give people. Cause they're like, oh, how could I get myself to like where you're, where you're at? And I was like, you honestly like, you know, be aware of what people are doing, be aware of the trends, but don't copy them because everybody's going to be like, well, that's Jordan's style. It's that's Rory's style, totally. but like be aware of it. Let it inspire you, but let it inspire you to find your own voice, your own trail. When I was learning to write, I wrote the book, The Wolf of Wall Street. I used Tom Wolf as a famous writer. Wrote so you wrote your own book? I did. I wrote all my own books and it was, and it was, I was, I had time to learn. I was in jail. And what happened was I couldn't write in the beginning. I was a natural, remember I said I was a natural speaker? Yep. Not a natural writer. I could not write well. And I struggled with it and struggled. And finally, I stumbled upon this book, Bonfire of the Vanities. And once I read that book, I'm like, wow, I want to write just like that. And I, I literally modeled it really closely. But what happened was after three or four months, my own voice evolved from that. And I became my own style Based on that, and I always quote this, I'm the first to give him thanks for, you know, he was yeah. my mentor and didn't never met me. The guy was in jail and I used him as a mentor. Hunter S. Thompson as well. I watched, I modeled his writing Phenomenal. as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and so people, you know, you don't have to meet the people that mentor you. You can choose any mentor that you want. If you, because everything's online and available, yep. right? So there's nothing stopping from anyone could choose you as their mentor. You don't have to be in their ear. They're smart. They can extract your strategies by watching and listening to you, right? So mm -hmm. I, I think it's awesome. But let me go to what we mentioned before, like the whole, I think a lot, I think one of the things, especially in this day and age, where like if you look at your life on, on camera, it's like you're the happiest guy in the world, not a care ever. It's all life is a fucking party, right? Mm -hmm. We all know better, but you know, it seems that way, which right. is kind of weird, but you specifically mm -hmm. point out like you're like, guys, it, it's not, in fact, it was, what, what, tell me that 
you know, as much as you want. You don't have to, I don't want to, I'm not Oprah trying to make you cry. No, <laughs> I want to fucking learn how to do that, by the way. I was going to watch Oprah. I want to make him cry, you know? Yeah. But no, but I want to know, like, because I've suffered from, you know, terrible anxiety and panic attacks. Never depression, but anxiety and panic attacks. So it's like sort of the, 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 the redheaded stepchild of depression is, you know, yep. is that, right? And it took me, it killed me, hurt me for years. All my drug addiction was that. So I want to know your, your trip on that. Like, you know, A, sort of, you know, what it was like, um, as much as you want to say, and then how were you able to break out of that? And I think ultimately use it to propel you. seems like, um, it's kind of like what I was saying with like the cliff jumping, like you got to understand what the fear is telling you. Um, fear can tell you if like something's like dangerous, like if you had a knife right now and you're going to stab me, like obviously that's a fear that's like life or death. Mm -hmm. There's fears in the sense of, I'm going to ask this girl out. I'm a little nervous. Like you're not going to die. Um, unless she's crazy. Uh, but which is a distinct possibility. Right. Women. <laughs> um, the best ones are all crazy. Yep. I'm exactly. normal though. Right. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm crazy. Um, but there's also just that, like, if it's something that you're passionate about, that can create a lot of fear and you have to learn how to channel that and understand it. For me, like I grew up and I felt like I, I was so much younger than my brothers and sisters. It was hard for me to, discover my voice and video was my first way of finding a, a proper way to communicate to the world. Mm -hmm. And I could take what I've captured and create a story that was true to who I was and my voice. And I could put it out there where I felt confident, mm -hmm. kind of like what we were talking about with public speaking, where mm -hmm. that was, you put it out there and I knew that Hey, if people don't like it, that's on them. Like, this is true to me and this is something that I want to like express to the world. And just over time, like once I started getting success with my videos, it's like the compound effect. Like the more you do it, you slowly build up this confidence yeah. and like a tolerance to like the fear getting in. Sure. And then you have, you have downfalls and then you have reality checks and that allows you to see just kind of like what you're made of, but also that, Hey, like you're not invincible and, uh, you always have to just be a little self-aware of things, I guess. What you're talking about, you know, I studied a, a body of psychology called NLP. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Neuro, NLP? Neuro linguistic programming. Okay. Right? It was created by Dr. Richard Bandler and another guy named Grinder. I'm friends with Bandler. He's an awesome guy in the seventies. A lot of self-help is based on, on, on NLP. It's why you, it's really interesting that you just naturally are, you've, you crack the NLP code because really what NLP is, a lot of what naturally happens, but most people can't do it without some sort of organized, and a, I don't mean a crutch in a bad way, but some sort of manual guide of how to do that, how to manage. Like for instance, one, one of the big things Dr. Bandler says is that fear and excitement are like two sides of the same coin. Like a lot of fear, as you mentioned, it's not saying fear, I should run, but fear, I should focus more closely. Yeah. This is an important moment in my life. So sometimes a lot of people, they, they, they mischaracterize excitement as fear because the physiological responses are almost identical. When yep. you're excited, your pulse flickers, your, your eyes nods, it's almost a fight or flight reflex. So you might think it's fear, but it's actually excitement disguising itself as fear. And one of the things that teach you to do in NLP is what you almost did naturally by lot, you almost logic it out in your own mind, probably by going through a lot of fucking pain and saying, wait a second, this is, 
it's not working for me. It's like, you know, what, what can I do? You probably just trial and error on some level until you figure it out. Wait a second. It's actually mostly excitement more than fear here. Yeah. Right? And I'm just going to go at it and realize to be careful and boom, there you go. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, uh, you nailed it on the head saying like the excitement sometimes like disguises itself as fear and, uh, just being able to recognize when it is excitement and how to channel it. And I like, that's kind of like, almost like it's my, my algorithm, so to say, um, like jumping off the cliff. It's something like, I haven't mastered it, but I've, I've got it down to a science of, if you put me on a 30 foot cliff, like I know that there's no real fear, but the, just the excitement does enter the body and you can just learn just how your body approaches that. Cause you know, you can Mm. step past the fear and the excitement and execute it. How do you take that moment and apply that to other areas of your life of like, kind of like, Oh, here's, here's my, whether it's anxiety or the fear or the excitement flaring up, recognizing that and taking something that you've executed before and applying it to that and be like, yeah, it's what you're doing. It's It's really amazing. So What's the phrase again? It's called run it. Run it. Run it. That's your yeah. anchor phrase where you just run it and you boom, you're at, and you, yeah. Run, run it. <laughs> that hurt, by the way? Uh, two tequila shots. No, it, was, it wasn't bad. It was, uh, it was my first tattoo. And uh, I was on this ski trip. So I, I filmed as uh, Bieber's like personal videographer for a year. Right. Went everywhere with him. And we were in Park City and we were out on the mountain skiing. And he's like, let's have a tattoo guy come by the house tonight. And I'm like, what like everything like basically when i started touring with him like everything like that we were doing was just like yo mom like dad like like calling everybody is like yo this is insane like we're staying in these hotels like it was it was something i had never done before but your threshold for insane starts to move pretty quickly yeah it's like six months later you're like that's just normal shit now it, it's we crazy. Need, we need more stuff to do more things to be insane now, right? Yep. <laughs> That's the trap. <laughs> yeah. And so I did, uh, I was like, if you have a guy come over to the house tonight, like I'll get my first tattoo. And he's like, call him up. Uh, and so he came over and got a tattoo. And yeah, so, what, so did you, so when were you like depressed though, when, when, what was the, like, was before, was it like when you were sitting there watching movies, like even though I guess you were making ends meet financially, was it just dead end job for you? you yeah. Know, like, you know? Well, it was like when you're younger, like I'd expected like, you know, oh, my dreams are going to happen. And like, it's going to be by the time I'm 23. And then you start to, uh, my mom always said, once you hit 25, your body goes downhill. And it's like, Okay, Fuck, now, I'm, right. now I'm already like past the 25 mark. So my body's going downhill. Like, am I going to be able to wait? Actually, is this real life? Am I going to be doing this the rest of my life? Am I actually not going to enjoy it? Like, holy shit. And I, I remember sometime in that closer to the end of that job, like the four and a half years, I just started bringing vodka in a little water bottle. And like, I wouldn't get like shit faced at work, but I would you know, sip on it all day and have a nice buzz and get through it and, you know, deal, kind of suppress the voices in your head. And like now looking back at it. What year was this? Um, That would have been 2000, like 13, okay. 2012, 2013. And looking back on it now, like I used to think that was always like, 
oh, like you're trying to quiet your demons, like those depression. And like, now I think of it as more like, it's just voices inside of you that are like, like dreams or something that like wants to get out. It's like, Hey, like, yo, why are you forgetting about us? And dulling the pain. So, you know, pain is what makes us want to change. Yep. It's Cause when there's no pain, you're like, fuck it. I'll just, I'll stay pat. Right. Pain's the greatest motivator out there. Mm-hmm. And what happens to a lot of people is they go into what's called denial Right, it hurts too much because you know. After a while, if you live like a kind of a mediocre life, what you have to almost downregulate because you're like it just hurts. If I if I was to get honest with myself and say my life fucking sucks, I couldn't. I, I want to put a gun in my head. I want to. So what? Instead, you say, you know what? It's all right. Or you drink, or you do something to sort of quiet the critics and quiet the. Let's say. You know, there's, there's this amazing person that's inside of it. I, I believe there's a, an amazing person inside everyone. I really believe that. And, I agree. And the sick thing is it's so easy to unleash that person. It really is. It takes, it's not, when I say easy, I don't mean it takes massive hard work and dedication, but I don't believe it's something that's reserved for the select few. I think it's the opposite. I think yeah. anyone, if they were like, see, in your life, you could model, you're like a role, especially, obviously you are a role model for a lot of kids, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Like that's, that always like kind of blows my mind. Like I get a lot of messages, like at first, like when you start getting messages and people are like, yo, this video, like changed my life it saved my life like i freaked you out right yeah like, like when they tell you, you like what do you, what do you when they say that like hey i'm i was suicidal and like now like you know like i've made these changes and like these steps and like i've already seen this progress in my life it's like whoa like i was making that thing to kind of settle the nerves inside of me and figure out who i am like i had no in, like no idea or intention that it was going to do that to this person it freaks you out probably had no intention how many people feel like you did yeah. I, I think we, we, it's like hard to fathom. I think most people feel like, I think I felt like that. Again, it's more in, in the form of anxiety and stuff, but I think most people feel like that. And I just think it's, it's kind of weird because you think it's only you, especially with social media when everyone's like smiling and everyone's having a party every fucking day looking good yep. and Photoshopped out. But it, so, but to me, I think it's, so when you do something like that and people latch onto you, it, it elevates them. Mm-hmm. Brings them up, you know? Yeah. And it, uh, and like that, that caused a lot of pressure for me to like deliver and kind of like, you know, it, I, I felt that kind of like, when am I going to get found out? Like when, when am I going to make a bad video? Everyone or, feels that way. Yeah. And so <laughs> it would, it would, it would, it would get, I would get in my own head where like a lot of the, I couldn't create because I'd create this internal like pressure in this block where something that was so natural, because there was a period of a few years where, like, if you asked me to, like, make that video again now, I'd be like, how the hell did I do it? And and then right. it was so natural where it was just like, there it is. And it was crazy. It was crazy to see, like, how effortless, like, some stuff came. You know, my I, when I first got some sober for a long time, my friend, my first sponsor used to say he was a very rich guy, very successful, probably worth a hundred million plus real estate guy. He owned a rehab, very smart. He used to say, "I show up to work every single day, terrified they're gonna find out. I don't know the first thing about what I'm doing." And he was a brilliant guy running everything. It's like we're almost. Well, I I know what I mean. What he's really saying is that you know when when you're living fully. 
you're always pushing your own boundaries. Yeah. You're stepping into uncomfortable situations. You're stepping into your fears or else you're not really living. So what you do is, I think it's almost like if you're in your comfort zone, then you're not really living. It's about pushing outside your comfort zone. Yeah. No, and like to kind of go off more what you're saying about just like a lot of people look up to you and uh, the part about being in denial. Like I spent like the better part of the last year kind of in denial. Like I got in this car wreck that was like near fatal. Like I, sh I should have been dead. Like it was basically just because the way that this huge speaker landed under this convertible, like it gave me enough headroom that it didn't snap my neck. And, uh, what happened? What, you drive it or? Yeah. Late at night and, uh, down a gravel road, hit a tree and it flipped upside down on top of me. And, but like, I think for a while, like I was in denial of like, that could have happened to me that I could have died. And I think like six months after, like it started to like sink in, like, holy shit. Like, you know, you got to life is fragile. Like, you know, yeah. it's life is easy. Like if you want to obtain like what you want to do, it's, it's not, it is easy in the sense of you just have to make the decision and put in the time. And it's also like, it can be taken away like that. And so that just kind of like made me like, kind of like scared to even leave the house for a while. And I, I wasn't jumping off cliffs, wasn't doing anything really? crazy. And a lot of people like they would see me out and like, I could tell, like, it, I almost freaked them out because like, <laughs> I'm just sitting in like right. at the party, just kind of like this, chilling, like yeah. chilling. And they're like, wait, why is he not jumping off the walls? Why, right, where's, right. The, where's the crazy energy? Let me ask you a question. What would happen if like, I tried to jump, what's the highest cliff I can jump off without, like without training? All right. Now I'm fucking, your mother didn't tell you about 50, by the way. She told you 25 off. Like she, did she tell you about 50? It's fucking bad, man. Is it? At 50, you just wake up and feel like some guy beat the shit out of you while you sleep. I'm like, what? I felt good. I wake up, I'm like, oh, my fucking back, my foot hurt. I, my, I'm how my foot fucking get hurt in the middle of the night. And like, yeah. shit fucking happens to you at 50. I have to pee seven times a night. It drives me fucking crazy. So she didn't tell you about that one. You got to no, ask her, say, mom, about 50. She'll say, oh boy, right? I, but it, being, I'm 50, so I just had my shoulder replaced. Okay. Completely replaced. So metal, my dad. Metal, yeah, metal, yep, uh, literally. Ball, right? Okay. I've had four surgeries, five here, my back fused, knee redone, right? Let's say I, we, maybe we could try this together. Okay. Okay, because I would give it a shot. My son's like, don't fucking know that. No, I, what would happen? Okay, 15 feet. Any problem with me? No, you're fine. 20 feet. No, you're good. 25 feet. You're good. 30. I'd take you 30, and I think that, that'd be good. <laughs> it's, like the, it's, like, it's almost like scuba. Do you go diving, scuba? Uh, it's like one atmosphere. So if we, anyone could dive 30 feet because if you if you freak out and you go up, you're not going to get what's called the bends. But yep. they, you know, your blood gets you know, bubbles in it, right? Okay. But if 60 feet and you panic and you go up too fast, you're fucked. You're like, you can get crippled and, or you could die, actually. So 30 feet is like 33 feet, one atmosphere, right? So yeah. 30 feet up to? Yeah, I think you could do 30 feet. How, just we, you and I having a conversation, you say, fucking run it. Run yeah. it, fucking wolf. Yeah, fucking I, I, I would give you like basically all the the tools and all the tips of how to execute it 
would you want me to go like on a trampoline, do a couple of flips? Like, would it help for me to flip or just go straight down? And, I don't, ah! I don't, I don't peg you for a, f- I'm not a, a flipper. I'm not, dude, I pe- you, you I peg, peg you exactly <laughs> right, by the way. You're a fucking smart you, man. <laughs> I peg you for one of the natural flippers. And the most common thing you see with like cliff jumping is people are scared. And I was telling my <laughs> friend, so. yeah. I was telling my friend Evan in Greece, cause he was kind of having this problem. And I was just like, once you jump in the air, like you've already you're in the air you've already committed i was like so as crazy as sounds is you just have to relax (laughs) like i get that you're freaking out on top right like that's where you really need to calm down and like put yourself into like into your focus but once you've jumped off you can't go back onto the cliff you're already in the air so you Uh, might as well relax i gotta come play with you i pussied out once yeah i did i did but there's in, nothing wrong with that. I was in Jamaica at a place called Rick's Cafe in Jamaica. And they, oh, yeah. They, you know what I'm talking about? I know that. It was yep. probably 1970, well, I'm fucking old, 1981. And I went to my family to go, I, fuck, I was like, fuck, no way. And I fucking ran. I didn't do it. So this is during like your heyday, huh? High school. No, no, college days. Oh, okay, okay. Well, college days. I was going to no, say, if this was during like- No, no. Then okay. I would have done Then it. I was going to question the whole movie. Dude, dude. I, we used to, listen, let me just tell you what we had. We had those quaaludes. They were, we called them courage pills. That's so, I did want to ask you about the quaaludes. Oh, uh, so well, they were courage pills, right? And yeah. what happened, like for instance, let's say you were, you, let's say you, you know, were managing an account for someone. Let's say the stock, the guy was a rich guy and he invested a million bucks and all of a sudden the stock's dropped and he was down $200,000. And we had these young brokers. They'd be like, I, I, I can't call the guy. I, I don't know what to say. And by the way, these are big, big, big boys. They would lose and make money. But I just so embarrassed. Take one of these. Take a quail. 15 years later, Mr. Jones, let me fucking tell you. You're down 100. Ultimate courage pills. So you're just oh my great. Gosh. If you're out in a bar, I fucking let that chick is so hot. I'm scared. What? Sweetheart, you're like tonguing her. Thinking <laughs> it, it, they were, right? I used to, <laughs> so of course I love them, right? Not that it was all artificial, but I won't deny that I felt like fucking Superman on them, especially I mixed, it, mixed them with, with the proper amount of blow. It was like, it was like you know, you had to balance shit. And I'm, I'm sober for many, many years now, right? I love my life a lot more now, but I did do a pretty good job at like becoming a human petri dress, you know, managing the drugs. But quaaludes were, they were courage pills. So if you wanted to jump off, and the only problem was, is that you thought you were more coordinated than you were? At the, you'd be they turn you into rubber, basically, right? Okay. So, like in the movie scene when I roll down the stairs at the car, right? Yep. I, it's a true story, right? And and I hit seven cars in the way home. And the thing is, is that I didn't have a scratch because when you're on quaaludes, you're like rubberized. It's like you're boing boing boing. You're like a toddler. <laughs> Nothing breaks, right? Mm-hmm. So you take a quaalude, jump, you jump off of a cliff. Well, you probably you wouldn't be scared. You probably belly flop. But nothing would happen to you. And you're like, what the fuck was that? Let's do it again, you know? Because I feel, I, so I, what I was saying is I think you would jump and you would lock <laughs> lock up. So you would do the- You know me. Well. And, and you'd be looking straight down. So your your head would follow your eyes oh, and no. you would naturally oh, no. do the flip, like roll over, belly flop. So- By the way, you, you're not, a fucking NLP. You are a, a, a personal- So what's the story? What you focus on, you move towards. That's the trap. I tell a story about when I was learning to fly a helicopter, the guy says, when you're landing and the engine goes out, don't look down because you'll crash into the fucking ground head first. If you look ahead, that's where you go, yeah. right? So when you die, you can't look. If you look down, you're fucked, right? Yeah. You focus on, that's where you go. 
Yeah. So what's your trick? What do you tell me your strategy? It's like, it's always the runner. You run it, but then what happens? So, well, I always flip because I, I can control my body and I, I can always spot my landing and, uh, kinesthetic sense. I was yeah. yeah. But if you, if I'm just running and jumping, I, I hate doing a standstill jump because if you run, you actually, you have natural motion. So your body's moving forward rather than just stepping off. You have to like kind of control yourself mm-hmm. and balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that thing, motion is always easier, right? Yeah. So like if I do that kind of jump, I, I run. So you can't see the water where you're actually going to land because the cliff's blocking it. So you see out in front of you, mm-hmm. you run and you spot your land or you spot your takeoff, you jump. And as you're falling, you just bring your first point of reference that you're looking at as you start and you bring it in as you get closer to the water. The horizon. Yep. You bring it down to the point of entry. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So essentially you're focusing straight out and then you just bring, you lower it as you go down. Mm-hmm. How'd you learn that? Just by uh, naturally? Just over time. And then I- uh, I got you ever look down and, and, and make oh, the mistake, right? Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, and, but I did, uh, I got certified to skydive with the Red Bull Air Force and these guys- uh, Red Bull sponsors you, right? I wouldn't say sponsors me. I mean, they, they send me free drinks and all that, but uh, they paid for my skydiving yeah, school. They fucking and, sponsor you then. Yeah. They don't sponsor me, they should. Um, no official contract, but um, so these guys, Jeff and Sean, they taught me. And one of the things about when you come in to land is spotting your point of reference where you're going to land. Because if you look straight down and you pull like your flare, you're going to compensate at the wrong sure. time and then you only have one good chance to slow down how what what's the like the, is it like a certain fail safe after you pass that you're fucking done like you have so many feet to correct and then it's like it's over basically is there like a um they have uh well you're either just gonna like smack really hard onto your ankles and like you know you can break a leg but you have to do i think it's called a a pl plf parish something like something landfall. Mm. Uh, so you basically hit your legs and then you roll over. So you Got don't I teach the guys it. in the army to do it, the paratroopers, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So so did you ever try to study the physics of the whole thing? Did you ever get into that aspect of it? Like, No, but I, I, I am like, uh, I guess a little infatuated with the physics of- I am, it's yeah. pretty interesting. Like, that, like, in, like for instance, they do these guys that are- like um, free divers, right? And there's like two types. Some guys are just naturally amazing free divers and others just use the scientific approach to really master the trade, you know, the art and, and, and so forth. So when you're doing your dives, like here's what I noticed. I, before you came, I said, I wanted to watch some of the stuff. It kind of looks like you're going to fucking not clear the, the, um, the ground. Like those, it, from, it, the purview looks like You'd have to jump too far outward to make the water. Yeah, is that just an optical illusion or something? No, there's. Are you jumping? Are you jumping? It looks like you went to really like you're like it's like the movies where the guy's jumping like the Matrix. He's jumping unnaturally far distance. Sometimes, yeah, you do. You do. Yeah, I thought it was an optical illusion. No, like there's there's some jumps where it's like you if you don't commit, you're like dead. Yeah, yeah. It was one I saw, and I unless I said that. I replayed them like it didn't look like you had the clearance because you had to make it like 10 feet. I was like, 
I think fucking maybe Natasha Romanoff from Avengers could do it. She's fucking pretty agile, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it seemed like you had to go a little bit too far, but you made it, though. Yeah. So you're actually, in that case, you're, so this is like what I think, that's when the fear starts. That's the real fear component, right? That's not just, there's actually a fear that you manage because there is some danger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's always, I wouldn't do, I always, it, until I knock mm-hmm. on wood, I wouldn't do something unless I, I really feel confident in clearing it. And I don't know, it's always funny to watch videos. Like I never notice it when it's like happening, but always in video, like, I always see my, right before I jump, my fingers are wiggling like this. I'll wiggle my fingers. And I feel, I've learned that I, when I do that, that's kind of like my body's energy that wants to like make my heart rate go. I, I guess I channel it down in my hand and give like my subconscious, I guess, somewhere to run. And, um, Natural self-development guru. Yeah. Dude, you could lead crowds of millions teaching this stuff. And it's crazy <laughs> what you like. Well, I'm, well, I've spent a lot of the better better part of the last year, like like a lot of like, I guess, isolation. Like I moved into a one-bedroom apartment and when you spend a lot of time with yourself, you figure out yourself. And for me, like better part of my life is on video. So I can kind of go back and look at things and be like, wow, like, I didn't like this behavior or I didn't like this or this was great about myself. And you can kind of, kind of learn about yourself. It's kind of like, uh, the man in the mirror, but it's like the man in the video clips and you can learn a lot about yourself. What is is that one part of you, right? So on a scale of one to 10, right? Would you say you nowadays you move through life and you're like 10 being really, really happy and fulfilled and, one being in a state of absolute fucking misery. What do you typically move through life at? What number do you, like, I know it's kind of a weird question. I mean, just generally speaking, do you find yourself, um, because people would think you're at a 10 all the time and I I don't think it's possible to do that. No. But what do you, and and is it, do you, is it more like you're very up and down or are you more constant? I'd say I'm, I'd say I'm pretty constant in an up and down. You, what's your kind of set point? You're constant around what numbers you, what do you, you hover up and down around what number? What's your baseline? I'd say I'm usually a, a six to a six to a seven. Me too. Yeah. I was going to I was thinking, I never asked that this song before. And I was thinking, as I was asking, I was, thinking, I was going to say I'm at a six yeah. myself, but and that's not really bad. I, I, you know, it's not because I'm miserable. I just, I have a high standard for myself. So I'm always striving and I almost use, I almost use my own fears and not fears the wrong word. I almost use my own um, pain points to motivate myself. Hundred percent, right? I think yep. you're a lot like me, like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, just a lot of like what, whatever, wherever your pain stems from, you can learn a lot about yourself and like how to propel yourself forward, how to use that as a. I guess an anchor or yeah. uh, well, more of a propulsion force, yeah. right? You move away from pain and get pulled towards the things that you love, the pleasure, right? Yep. Where are you going for your next five years from now? Where are you going? Dude, that was the question dad always asked me growing up. He'd be like, Roar, where do you see yourself in five years? And I'm just like, and he's like, nope, don't get up from the dinner table. And I'm like, <laughs> Mike, I hate this question. And like- How about get, three years then? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> five years? Five years. Married? I'd hope. I'd like to be married. Um, I've always wanted kids. And like now, like I I still think I'd love to have kids, no doubt. But like just just seeing the world that we live in, like there's days where 
you know, my life's great for the most part, yeah. but like how much I still have these own just like problems and just how much up and down I go. Like, sure. I don't know if I could have a, see a kid go through that. And so that life, my friend though, you I know, know. You know, there's a book, these back, it's an old book. It's the road less traveled. The first one was life is difficult. Yeah. You know, it's just like, and, it, and in some ways it is, but I, I think my, you know, my dad wrote my, my dad who's, you know, approaching the end. Right. And he's had a great, amazing life. He's in a fucking Scorsese movie. Right. But he wrote in my, public school graduation book. Like, yep. this is, I'm talking, I graduated from public school in 1972, way okay. before you were born, 73, right? And he said, I wish you, I'll never forget this because it really was the most touching thing. He said, I wish you a life of happiness, but with a touch of sorrow so you know the difference. Yeah, that's cool. I like you know, that. I don't know why it always stuck out to me. That like it wasn't, and I, and it, I always remember it wasn't just about like always being, it was like if you didn't have some negativity or unhappiness, how would you really know what true happiness was? Yeah. If you don't stretch yourself and fail, how can you ever succeed, you know? Yeah, it's a point of reference. Yeah. That's life. You, my friend, are a point of reference. You're a superstar. And I want to dive off a cliff with you and we will make a YouTube video at it. Dude, that'd be awesome. All right, only if my son will dive with him. I have my kids, I'll bring all of them to this one. Like father, like son. <laughs> there you go. What, um, what would hey, you- You want to ask me a question, by the way? Please, let's go ask me a question or two. I'm happy yeah. to answer. Um, let's see. Anything what... you want. I'm, nothing's off limits for me. So, do you really chuck out a $40,000 Rolex? In the bullpen? Oh, much worse than that. Yeah? yeah I, I was so loose with money that you say people could just get rich by walking behind me. If we, money lost its value in, in, in the boardroom. So we would like, even like on July 4th, we would take bottle rockets and just put $100 bills and fire them off into the ocean. It was fucking nuts. We just lost our minds, right? But we'd throw watches. And it, I, mean, I bought some people, you know, $200,000 cars. Oh yeah, we did all that stuff. It was an insane place and it was fun as shit. It, and it could have been even better. The big mistake was, it was just too much drugs and never ends well, you know? Yep. What, um, what in your, like in your career, like what, was there like a turning point or a point like where you were like, you went down a road and you're like, I should be backtracking or. Well, I, look, so there was a point when I knew I was doing the wrong thing mm -hmm. for the first time, like that, what was that first ethical lapse? And I was aware of it and I rationalized it. So I, what happened was there was a certain stock trade I had to do. And if I would have done it the legitimate way, and it wasn't illegal, but if I had done it legitimately, it would have raised a red flag that I would have bought something that was really priced at $5 on the market. I could have bought it at $2. And that would mean more than if you could buy it at two, it shouldn't really be five. Right. So the idea was like, it would have raised the red flag with regulators. So the guy who was selling me this block cheap, he said, Hey, I'll just give you uh, I was like six, two, I think it was like uh, 200. Was like, I'll give you 600,000 in cash to make up the difference. And I was like, what? And I had not never broken the law yet. He's like, everyone does it on wall street. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and I said, well, all right. I guess I'll do it once. I'll never do it again. I took the money and I didn't start breaking the law like crazy, but it, your line of ethics moves a bit, yeah. you know? And then once it shifts, the next time you step over the line, it shifts a bit more. And 
It's through these like tiny imperceptible steps before you know you're doing things you never thought you'd do. You're associating with people you never thought you'd associate with and it all seems normal. And that's what happens, like the sensitization. You you know, what, what started off being insane just seems, well, how else could you, you live? So, And how do you get back from something like that? Well, in one way is a couple of things. Number one, I was raised really well. I didn't wasn't raised by like go out there and steal. I was like not what I was raised to do, right? right? So it wasn't that my my morals were bankrupt. It really wasn't. It was my values that were bankrupt. Okay. I valued money and success, a, a warped definition of success among everything. So when that's your number one value, you chase after that. So let's say you value money above all and family second. Well, when they compete with each other, what do you do? I'll focus on money. If you focus on money as your number one value, family second, doing the right thing third, what will you do? If it conflicts, you go to the highest value. Yeah. Um, that's just not me. I think that's all people. And my highest value is money, recognition, sex, like, you know, pleasure like that, all the carnal fucking pleasures, right? And um, I, when I got sober in 97, that was one move back to the norm of what I was raised to be. And when I went to jail, the that literally having to leave my children, I'm one of the people that went to jail and came out an infinitely better person. Because for me, I the pain I felt of letting my children down, I had made such a shift. I, I knew I would never, ever get in trouble again. I would never do another, I would never take another action that would not elevate the people around me. So I had this sort of this whole shift of mindset, like what was my most important value? My most important value became giving value. Okay. And you, once that happens, everything else gets really easy. And you think that stemmed from having a good moral compass, like growing up? I think certainly I didn't have to learn about morality. They wanted to teach me. I was taught the right, right from wrong and lived well, lived, you know, a very law-abiding life. I wasn't like in reform schools, not at all. I went to a college, I went to, spent one day in dental school before I dropped out. So I was a good student, great student, right? Um, it was a combination of what I said and also going into my adulthood, young adulthood with, with insecurities and having a very special talent. I had a special talent. And then that talent manifested itself in an even more special talent, which was not only could I be, not only was a natural salesperson, I could train others to sell. Once I figured out this new system, I had a system I created, right? Called the straight line. And by creating that, it allowed me to take all these other kids and make them rich. So that's power. So is power good or bad? Well, you direct it one way, it's awesome. Another way, it's not so awesome. And I started off going awesome and then took a right left turn to Albuquerque to say, and it was not so awesome. So um, that power of teaching people to close, to sell, if that's misused, it's an awful thing. Yeah. If it's used properly with ethics, it's an amazing thing because yeah. selling is everything in life. So now yeah. I teach it around the world and I teach it in the most ethical, benign way and it empowers people. And I get the same emails you get. I get thousands of these people that changed my life, you changed my life. And that's something I respect. And I would never in a million years sacrifice. I would not allow myself to do anything but that because I couldn't live with myself. That's my highest value. What's it like going from where you've been to turning around to like, the person you are now and, and receiving like messages like that. What's that feel like? It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And I also get messages from haters. I'm sure you do too. Oh yeah. 
And in the beginning, it actually bothered me. I was like, I don't get it. And then, you know, it's in, the, in the very beginning, I was like, all right, I get it. Maybe they think I'm faking it. They don't know, right? Yeah. And then over time, a lot of the skeptics became really big supporters. I said, wow, it's six, five, six years now. This thing's not faking, you're just doing it, right? Yeah. Um, but I still have haters. They write just stupid shit. But I realized something amazing that every time someone hates on me, it increases my engagement and I make more money. Yeah. So I was like, thank you, haters. You just, you just call me a cocksucker. How dare you try to make money after making a mistake when you were 24? I'm like, you just made me 50 bucks. Boom. How did you get? So I, I did a reframe of my own mind with the yeah. haters, but it really bothered me in the beginning because I was trying to be such a good person. And I, I was, I was living this amazing, authentic life, helping everyone. And people were like, that scumbag should die in a fire. Hurt me. Yeah. It really did. I'm not made of, you know, of fucking, I'm not of, you know, like adamantium fucking, you know, I'm like, you know, it hurt me, but I learned that it's a, if Jesus Christ came, came back and was gave that speech on the temple mount, he'd be, he, what an asshole that guy. Well, look what he's saying. People would hate on Jesus. There's no one is exempt from the haters and the trolls and it's disgusting, but it's the life, the world we live in right now. So I accept it and move on and embrace it and try to make the best of it. Yeah. What, what advice would you give? Like just not only your listeners, but young entrepreneurs like that deal with like hate people telling them they're not good enough or, Oh, you'll never make it. That's like, you're not talented yeah. enough. It's out of your realm. Best advice I could ever give someone is the, is the best revenge is to live well. That's yep. number one for sure. Right. So obviously not to allow yourself to, be disempowered, but simply to say, thank you very much. And I will show you, just put your head down. Here's the thing. Um, you know, there's two sides to success, right? There's one side of it is this inner game, you know, of managing your emotions. Like you really mastered managing your emotions, you know, overcoming some limiting beliefs that you might have, learning how to focus on a vision for the future and having a very high personal standard. There's certain things about you that give you this very strong inner core, your inner game, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Those are four things, right? Sometimes what people don't realize is that that's just simply not enough. There's also strategy. Mm -hmm. It's like, before I jump off the cliff, I better fucking know how to jump off a cliff and the right way to land. I could have all the mindset in the world and you can want to go out there and get rich as Croesus. You want to go into business, live a better life, easy to do but you have to actually reconcile the inner game of success with the outer game. There's always strategy to learn. And if you don't want to work your fucking ass off, don't come to me because I can't be your mentor. If you want to get rich, you got to work your ass off, bottom line. But you're probably already doing that right now, but doing it the wrong way. So most people are willing to work hard. Um, so, but if they're not, and then there's just no shot. Uh, but that's my, my belief. Okay. And where do you see yourself in five years? I see myself having a really major corporate business okay. with this, with uh, my system. I train sales, right? And also big charity element around the world. I want to focus on those two areas. I did a lot of it in earlier days and I got kind of bogged down. I wasn't traveling as much because whenever I travel, I try to do some stuff, right? Okay. Um, but I see those two things. And also I, I would like, you know, to, I don't, I've never allowed myself to enjoy my own the fruits, of my own labor. I've always, focused on providing for my family more than really ever sitting back and enjoying it. It's never been my, like I never really? said, I'm not that sort of guy where that's my, my enjoyment is almost work in some level. Yeah. But I'd like to have with my wife for us to just have a bit more sort of just like maybe take the pedal off the metal, uh, you know, a little bit, you yeah. know, and just sit back and enjoy and turn over to my kids to, to, to do things because I am getting older, you know, 
I'll How are you? I'm 56. 56? Pretty right. good considering all the drugs I've got. You look great, Richard. <laughs> but, um, and I feel great. You know, and I feel great. It's just, I, I will tell you that that fucking morning when I wake up, it's like, what the fuck did they do to me? It's like someone beat the shit out of me when I was sleeping. And everyone over 50 knows. You all know what I'm talking about. It's really weird. So you got a few good years left for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Anyway, hey, one more question. Um, One more. What Before we go? Be. What, um. You don't have to. Nah, I mean, just like the advice for, because uh, I'd love to write a book one day. Mm. Um, yeah, like just just going down that avenue. Boom, get a ghostwriter now. I wrote my own books. It's a pain yeah. in the ass. Um, again, same thing. If you're gonna if you're gonna write a book, learn to write. Yeah. I spent. I had the, the great fortune of being behind bars. I mean, there's nothing much to do but read and learn a yep. new skill. So I used that time, and that was this idea of turning you know lemons into lemonade. Yep. Right. My my I always I tell a story. I heard it before. My friend's dad, when I was young, he say, if you flush Jordan down the toilet, he'll come up holding a plumber's license. That's about, you know, whatever you are, no matter what's thrown at you, having the resilience and the forethought and also just understanding the basic rules, inner game, outer game, moving towards what you want and working hard and learning strategy. That's my advice, buddy. All right. All right. And what about, uh, Ooh, he's got one more. Yeah. And so, so when you're, I love to talk, so don't feel bad here. I'll no, just fucking talk I, I love all day, talking buddy. too. I will talk all day. And I, you don't know, feel rushed. I'm not doing anything, you know? Yeah, me either. What I have to do, I have to do is I go, my wife wants you to do fucking yoga, which I'm the worst. Uh, it's in a, it's not called really yoga. What I do, it's like the fucking some weird form of like retarded yoga where like people will say, what that's, that can't be fucking yoga. <laughs> anyway, you'd be great because you're flexible. Well, I'm not flexible. You got, you got to, if we want to go cliff jumping, you got to <laughs> loosen the body. I'm trying. No, I'm sure I'm going to. He's dragging me today. Um, when you're, when you're past, you've moved on to the next life. What do you hope? Like when people hear the name Jordan Belfort, what do you want them to think about? Well, I don't want to think about Jordan Belfort, the song, you know that song? The Jordan Belfort song was a song someone wrote that was so popular in colleges. Um, <laughs> well, well, you know what? The comeback of the century. Yeah. That to me, I look at myself as a quintessential comeback story, which is an American, it's really a global thing. Um, but it's very, you know, Americans embrace that stuff. But I think, I think they do around the world as well. I think we take more credit for that in America than we should. I mean, everyone loves a great comeback story. Um, that's it. And also the amount of people that I've empowered, I'd love to be judged for that. Like, you know, to empower, like, who was it that told me about this? I think it was it Peter Diamantis. I don't know if you know me, but he, he said the real definition of billionaire should be you've helped a billion people. That's a true billionaire. And I thought that was awesome what he said, right? A great That's saying. Cool. Yeah. And and I and I have the potential, thankfully, because of the movie. Yeah. It gives me a platform to speak to people like you. Seriously, just they it just gives you the ability and that's a responsibility in that, right? And I would love to be known, be known as one of that guy, he helped more people live in power lives than anybody else in the world. Yeah. Cause I mean, I I think of like the movie uh, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah. How uh, that guy, like... He's he's amazing, that guy. He's spoken at Google. He's He actually, you know, he's a classic example of the, of the criminal t showing other people not how to get ripped off, you know? Well, it's just crazy that he took his skill set, which, you know, the government found to be criminal-like, and he now designs stuff in checks and credit cards that you can't scam, which is crazy. Right? Yeah. You, see, you saw the movie, right? Yeah. Movie. You know, Leo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's your favorite Scorsese movie? 
Favorite Scorsese. Obviously, the Wolf of Wall Street, but besides the Wolf of Wall Street. No, I mean like that. That's a. I mean that one, like with the Kanye West song for the trailer, like that's the ultimate trailer I've ever seen. I love um, Kanye West, but I think I, I'm a big fan of Kanye West. I got to shoot him one time, and it really? was like just career changing in the sense of the advice he gave me. And like Not his one music, night, his mind. I'm, I'm a fan. He's, he's a brilliant. He's, he's brilliant. Brilliant. Guy, yeah, no doubt. Brilliant. And. Um, He's so aware. Like whenever I had a conversation with him, like it was just, I was really just blown away mm. of like how aware of the surroundings he was. Yep. Um, favorite Scorsese film. I remember seeing Goodfellas for the first time. How great was that? Like that was ridiculous. You know, like ridiculous. Joe Pesci just dropping the f bombs. Like uh, Casino. You, 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 McClane. I think Goodfellas was, you know, besides the Wolf to me, the Wolf was best, but. Goodfellas was like the pinnacle to me. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. Like I love, I wish he'd do another film with De Niro mm. for sure. Um, De Niro's getting up there though. I know. It's like, but I feel like he, if anybody has to be like the like, great, you have to be the godfather that's like in the wheelchair now with like the nose, tube of his nose. <laughs> but I feel like if anybody could give like De Niro like one like last bang and roll, it would be him. Mm. And it, like that's what I, I love about Scorsese is he, like it was like, De Niro is this guy for a period of time. Then it's Leo. Mm -hmm. And it's it's cool to see people like re just like work with these people. And like uh Gangs of New York is a phenomenal one. Like Daniel Day Lewis is like ridiculous. I mean ridiculous. that's even crazier. Like the Leo ultimate character play, actor, right? Leo played across, you know, Daniel Day Lewis, and then he plays you years later. So you know that he's channeled some sort of acting chops from him and that. You know. One thing about Scorsese that I think is his greatest talent, right, is that he never he he has a way of telling a story without passing moral judgment. He just tells an actual story so the people that are sitting there can interpret it and feel the emotions they want to feel, versus it being spoon fed to them in telegraph. I, I hate a movie when they're just like moralizing to me in the movie and not allowing me to draw my own conclusion of how I should feel. Yeah. He like, he has this, you know, Scorsese, you could root for bad guys and still hate them and root for the, no one, no yeah. one assholes, but still in some level, right? That's a, it's an amazing talent because he almost suspends his own opinion out of it. Cause he's and I think the way he does that, he's a real cinephile. Like he, he, I think he's watched, I heard something that didn't make sense to me. I, I think Leo told me he watched, he's watched every movie ever made. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I say, how's that possible? There's a lot of shitty fucking, dude, I, I made some really, you know, I made the worst Christmas movie of all time back in 95 when I was on Ludes. I financed a, a Christmas movie called Santa with Muscles with Hulk Hogan. It was so bad. It's as bad as it sounds. It was, we shot it without a script. It was Summer in LA, 120 degrees. Like Santa, a, a rich guy played by Hulk Hogan, bangs his head, loses him. He thinks he's Santa Claus, and there you fucking go. It only gets worse from fucking there. Like the evil people are worse than the bad. I, you can't even imagine it, right? But Mila Kunis was in the movie. Yeah, yeah. He's he's always awesome. one little gem, There's right? always one gym. Yep. But no, he's amazing, and he has this way of just you know of, of uh, telling a story that is so pure, and people connect with it. Yeah, I agree with that. And there you go. Hell yeah. You are the man. Thanks, Dude, buddy. thanks so much for Thank having you me. Thank you for stopping by. It was a pleasure. I'd love to have you back one day and uh, Absolutely. check up with you in some time because I, I know you'd be doing awesome things and we will go cliff jumping. I'm down for that. All right, guys. Another awesome episode. This guy's met me. I'm very I'm humbled and thankful. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Boom. Thank you, guys.